welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How you doing? Good, good. Do you want to take your seats, please? Let's pray. Father, just ask that uh, you get the Holy Spirit to help me this morning and just to share your word that we may be transformed in our thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a bit like Tone in my approach to Christmas. It is kind of a bittersweet time, I must admit, but for me... You know, since I was little, Christmas, if I, if I had to have a favourite day in the year, Christmas would be it. I mean, birthdays are cool, but, you know, they come and go pretty quickly and, you know, there's, there's not much lead up. It's just kind of like your birthday and then it's gone. But Christmas, I mean, everyone's involved and there's heaps of presents, there's heaps of cheer and heaps of goodwill floating around the place. You know, it's a good time of year, I think. Although, like I said, it's become very commercial and very frustrating at that level. But you think about it, we're in the midst of, we're, we're approaching another Christmas, and, you know, every one of us here, or many of us, would probably know the Christmas story. In fact, even if you go to the shops, you're going to get glimpses of, of what it's all about. You go to school presentations, particularly if your kids are at Christian schools, you're going to get a bit of an understanding of, you know, the whole Christmas story. It's about, it's about a baby who was born some 2,000 or so years ago now. It's a baby who was born, who was actually spoken about beforehand, didn't just arrive on the scene unannounced, but this baby had had... Um, There'd been letters posted, there'd been, the word had gone out from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before to expect the arrival of this child. And, even, and, and the arrival of this child was an unusual one. It was unusual in several ways, but probably the most unusual thing is that the mother of the child was a virgin, had never slept with a man. And so we have this annunciation of angels coming to Mary and telling her that she's going to be the mother of a child but there's going to be no physical male involved. And so time takes its course, and we, you know the story perhaps of Joseph and Mary and some of the issues they had to confront and work through and over. But the long and short of it is that there comes a night when this baby is ready to be born, a special night, a night that there's all sorts of songs about, and so, a night that's portrayed in all sorts of pictures and, and you know, plays and um, uh, what are those things, you know, just statues and all that sort of stuff everywhere. What do they call them? Nativity scenes, that's it. And so, you know, there's, there's the star in the sky that's leading the wise men to Jesus. There's the angelic uh, visitation to the shepherds and the singing. And, and, you know, there's the picture of the baby in the manger. There's all that sort of going on. And so most people know about that story. But most people don't think really get it. Most people, if you ask them, you know, what does Jesus mean to you? A lot of people would actually doubt that he even lived. Now, I think that's one of the most ignorant things of all, to not even believe that Jesus existed, because it's a historical fact that he exists. You don't have to search too hard or too far to realize that Jesus lifted, uh, lived. Sorry. Others would say things like, well, what's Jesus ever done for me? And again, that's what I'm hoping to not, to not, to not, uh, this morning, to try and alleviate some of that stuff, because I think you know, we do just tend to minimize or overlook the significance of what Jesus has done in our lives. And some people are really, really, really cynical and they just want to blame all the world's problems on Jesus. Oh, what about this? And what about the wars? And what about, you know, the destruction of cultures? And, you know, what about the spreading of disease? And all the things that, you know, as the church has gone out and spread the name of Jesus, you know, that's all the things that have happened have just been stuff like that. But my question this morning, is that really fair? I mean, does that really sum up and, and, and give a, a realistic summary 
of the legacy of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to have a look at this morning is just a message I'm entitling, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? I want us to think about this as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you in your thinking because you possibly have thought some of the things I've already mentioned. But I want to equip us as well because you know, we need to have answers for the hope that lies within us. And it's not just about a little bit of good cheer once a year when we hand out presents, and that's the sum total of our excitement is based on the, the size of, or the expense of the presents we get. It's, it's celebrating the birth or the arrival on earth of the most significant person the world has ever seen. It's awesome what Jesus has done, but most people, it's lost on them. So what I want to have a look at then is what would life be like without Jesus? If Jesus had never come to the earth, what would be different about the world we live in? Well, for a start, I guess you say it's pretty easy. We wouldn't have Christmas. We wouldn't have Easter. So there's a couple of significant holidays, which we all appreciate. We wouldn't have. That would be a bit of a downer. Um, There's the presents that that sort of float around, the Christmas cards and all that sort of stuff, the holidays associated. Excuse me. All of those things... We wouldn't have. And again, some would say, well, big deal. We'll just have another holiday. There's all sorts of religious festivals out. we just choose one and have another holiday. And in fact, our celebration of Christmas and Easter did just replace other religious holidays, if you, if you want to be technical about it. But what else would we miss? Well, <clears throat> again, the church has left its mark through history in a whole bunch of ways that are fairly physical and obvious. You know, we, we don't drive too far in our city or our country without seeing churches, do we? Just the architectural remnants of Jesus' existence. Okay, and the art, you know, the paintings and the sculptures and all the amazing art artifacts from the last 2,000 years or so of the church. So we'd miss those things. Again, some would say, well, that's, you know, that's what it is. No big deal. It doesn't affect me too much. What's Jesus ever done for me? What about music? Our music that we listen to today would be significantly different without the church. I'm not just saying that you know, we'd miss a few hymns and we'd miss a bit of Hillsong and we'd miss a bit of gospel music. The music that we listen to, particularly in the West, has its foundation in the church. Musical notation from the church. Musical theory from the church. The whole uh, uh, idea of harmony and polyphony in the church, as people sought to worship God and go to new levels in their worship, they sought for ways to express themselves more freely and more extravagantly. <clears throat> and the church was at the forefront of these things, and the world <clears throat> embraced and adopted and adapted what started in the church. So music, I think we'd miss a bit of music. We'd probably miss a few other things as well. What about all the, the accumulation, the accumulation of just change lives you think about the things that you were doing before you were a Christian and extrapolate those over your life I think there's probably a lot of people that I know that are glad that I'm a Christian life is a better place for me being a Christian for many what about if you multiply that by millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people Let's, let's pretend they didn't get saved Let's pretend they continue to steal, to lie, to cheat, to destroy, to indulge in violence and all that sort of stuff, instead of becoming more like Jesus. So there's just the individual factors, you know, the, the fact that, that families have been blessed because their dads or mums became Christians, the fact that perhaps they were even born because of the fact their parents became Christians. They didn't just abort them, or they didn't just kill them at birth or leave them out because they were an inconvenience. 
So there's those sorts of things. What about the institutions and the organisations that are the legacy of the church? You know, we've so often just overlooked this, but I, I would venture to say pretty much every um, humanitarian organisation on the face of the planet had its inception in the church. And we'll look at why in a minute. But so many of the things that have just become familiar to us, and we don't, may not even associate them with Christianity, you know, things like the Red Cross, things like St. Vincent de Paul and all the work they do, things like the Royal Flying Doctor Service, Many of the schools and many of the universities, many of the hospitals, so many, you know, uh, compare, uh, compassion and care and world vision and all these things which have just become, you know, familiar to us and have, and have almost been hijacked, many of these things, by the world, by an alternative worldview. But these things had their basis in what Jesus did in Christianity. What about beyond that? And again, if you take those things out, you've got to remember that in all these things I'm going to talk about, that the church was at the foundation. And I don't know about you, but you know if you remove the foundation, it's pretty hard to build anything without a foundation. And so while there are lots of um, other pursuits that are engaged in by secular humanists and by other religions, you've got to say that these things, by and large, were founded or inspired by or even provoked, in some instances, by what the church was doing. The church was making the rest of the world look bad. And they thought, we'd better get on board. What about the massive reforms that the world has seen as a result of the influence of the life of Jesus Christ? Things that we, again, take for granted. Freedom of speech in our country. We can say what we like pretty much when we like. And apart from political correctness, we're not going to get in too much trouble. But the reality is, many places in the world today, you cannot say what you like. You cannot say it where you like. You cannot criticise governments. You cannot speak against religions without, in some extreme instances, fear of your life, but at least imprisonment. What about the plight of women? The church was at the forefront. In fact, I remember reading once of an Indian lady speaking to a pastor who said, surely this book was written by a woman. Because the, the, percept, or the, the message that it brings and the, the dignity that it gives women is so different than what is out in the world today. Many women struggle. Many women outside of our Western culture are second-class citizens. They're not given education. They have to fight for and defend for themselves. They're prostituted by their own families. They are seen as chattels, goods. When their husbands die, they're left to fend for themselves. This is the plight of women, not, not hundreds of years ago. We're talking right now, today. That's why our ladies just went to India. Because little kids, are not, little girls in particular, are not valued. They are left at hospitals. They are left in bins. They are left on the side of the street because they are not valued. And it takes people who follow Jesus to go and pick up and clean up behind the mess that this world is leaving itself in. What about work reform? Do you appreciate the fact that you're able to get home before the sun goes down and maybe go and play cricket with your kids or just do some stuff for you? Because it hasn't always been like that. And it's not like that in the majority of the world. People work from sunup until sundown. They flog themselves stupid six, if not seven days a week because they are oppressed and, and, and hard-pressed financially, oppressed by bosses or masters that don't give them a break. What we have in terms of the, the working conditions that we have, again, it's been, it's been you know, bastardised and ruined in a sense 
you know, we've got, it's gone to an extreme. What happens is the church has a good idea, the world thinks it can better, and we, have an, we go to extremes. And whereby, you know, it's a good idea, I think, to have a good work-life balance. I think that's a, that's a good and a godly idea. God just didn't make us to do stuff. He didn't make us as human beings. He made us as, humans, as human doings. He made us human beings. And so God created us to have a life. Jesus came that might have life to the full. And that includes not just work, but relationships and recreation and creativity and all those other things that God created us for. And so the Christian, uh, those that follow Jesus recognize this, and so they fight to see these things instituted where there's injustice and where there's people are work, being worked to the bone and spat out and dying early and all that sort of stuff. But then, then we get it, then, then, then the secular society grabs hold of it, and we want to fight for our rights. And we want more money, we want to do less work, and, and, and ultimately we drive ourselves into the ground. And Australia had really better watch where it's heading into the future, I think, because there's people out in the world who are just desperate to eat. And they will do any job for any amount of money, no matter how small it is. And so we can, we can cry and, you know, um, and, and proclaim our rights if we want to, but I think we need to recognise these things are a privilege, ultimately, that are a result of the direct influence of the church in history. The plight of kids. Again, the fact that kids are able to have a childhood. The fact that they're able to be educated. The fact they're not shoved up chimneys. The fact that they're not just abused and shoved down mines and just worked to the bone. The church. In the name of Jesus Christ, on the basis of what he taught, had a view of the world that was different than what was currently happening. Even the way that prisons are treated. Radically different where the church has followed Jesus' teachings than where Jesus' teachings have never been. Ask Chappelle Corby. And she's probably living in, in some, you know, some of the more civilised and humane prison environments compared to some out there in the world. The church has been at the forefront of so many things. Begs the question, and if we take Jesus out the fact, do we really take all those things out? Would you miss any of those things? Would you miss your freedom of speech? Would you miss your education? Would you miss your working life? Would you miss the fact that you have a say in the way you're governed? Do you miss that you can spend your money how you like? Do you miss that you can watch your kids play soccer? And all that? You know, am I overstating something here? Because I think many people think I am. I think many people would say, well, those things would have happened anyway, give it time. Surely, as technological advances came um, and you know, we got more civilised, that's just the way it is. We're on an upward spiral. Remember, we evolved from nothing and we're spiralling our way upwards and surely things are going to work themselves out pretty well in the end. Isn't that right? I don't think so. I think before a person can make a statement like that, they have to be able to justify it. You've got to say, okay, where? Where outside of the teaching of Jesus Christ are you going to find a mechanism that is going to do what the church did? Where are you going to find a philosophy? Where are you going to find a worldview? Where are you going to find a belief system or religion that will do what Jesus did and, and promote it? There isn't one. There is not one. Secular humanism is a parasite that lives on the back of Christianity. It lives on the back of the goodness that Christianity has fought hard for. And then it tries to take the credit. And then it tries to just, just add to And like I said, when it adds to it, it always messes up. Look at our welfare system. The, the Christians, on the basis of the teaching of Jesus, recognise we have a responsibility to the poor, a responsibility to them, not to not to live for, not to do life for them, but to a responsibility. It's massively different. 
what Jesus taught about personal responsibility and dignity is massively different than what our government right now is doing to people who are without jobs. People are robbed of their dignity, they're robbed of any sense of meaning and purpose, and they just get a handout. Week in, week out, they don't have to work for it, it's just there. They can do with it what they like, but they don't be productive with it for the most part because they're living in a world system that says your life is pointless anyway. And so let's just go and spend it on drugs, let's go drink more, let's go and indulge ourselves, get a hotter car or whatever it might be. So that humanism exists because of the friendly climate that Christianity has promoted. And it, like I said, it sees what the church is doing and it recognises that there is validity in it. And so it tries to adopt some of the principles, but it always goes too far and messes things up. The world is a mess today because people have gone beyond. They're trying to be nicer than Jesus, and you can't do it. So humanism, I think, is, is an abomination. Secular humanism. You look at the, the, the uh, legacy of humanism over the last hundred years. People talk about wars on behalf of Jesus and all that sort of stuff. 2,000 years. The, the, if, you could, if, you, if you could actually attribute those things to Jesus... And you can't. You can't logically do that. You've got to recognize that the church killing people is not what Jesus commissioned it to do. But if you could actually justify that, the numbers are so insignificantly small compared to just the last hundred years of secular, the rise of secular humanism. Stalin, responsible for the death of some 10 million of his own people. What would he have done if he had to be able to control the world? If you can kill 10 million of your own countrymen, Adolf Hitler responsible directly. Outside of the war, this is just people that they killed in-house. 17 million people. 6 million Jews, yes, but there was a whole bunch of other dissenters who he didn't like either. Mao Zedong. China, 70 million. 70 million people dead because of secular humanism. Life doesn't matter. Survival of the fittest. If you can do it and get away with it, go for it. So I don't think secular, secular humanism really offers us much hope to, as, a, as a mechanism by which the good things that we see Jesus responsible for to come into the world. What about other religions? What about Islam? Well, Islam happened after Christianity. 600 or 700 years after Christianity, we see Muhammad come on the scene. He was steeped in the teachings of Judaism and Christianity. He knew all about it. So any good that is in Islam was first in Judaism and in Christianity. But the methods that Muhammad used are massively different than the methods that Jesus used. We see that today. Many of us fear that today in the world today. There's massive fear because of the methods that Muhammad endorsed in his teaching. What about Hinduism or Buddhism? They're fairly significant world religions. But again, or ideologies or philosophies, they don't have the value on humanity. They don't put the value in this physical world. It's about trying to remove yourself through meditations on th- from, the, from this world. They don't have, there's not the motivation, there's not the, the passion, there's not the, the incentive to live a sacrificial life under those sort of systems. Same with Confucianism. Again, the, the, the primary teaching of, uh, and, um, I guess, religion, philosophy, whatever you want to call it, of China for thousands of years or many years. It's essentially a humanistic religion. It's got some great ideas about how we should relate to one another, 
But where's the incentive if there's no heaven? Where's the incentive if we don't live for eternity? Why not just do what the other more obvious form of humanism does? And that's just do what you can, get what you can. And it doesn't matter who you tread on in the process. So I would say you've got to find a mechanism. And I don't think there is one. There isn't one. Unequivocally, there isn't one. I've stated the world's major religions. If, If it's going to come from somewhere, it's going to come from those places, surely. It hasn't, and it won't. You might say, well, okay, you've been a bit harsh, Pete. I mean, that's all right to say that in church where no one's going to challenge you. But again, I challenge us to look across the world. Outside of the places where the influence of Jesus is prevalent. And you know, you can look, you can look several places. You can, look, you can look outside of the immediate influence of the church or of where the church has reached. And there are places where the church is still yet to really be a significant influence. Or you can look in places that are what you call post-Christian. In other words, where the church has had its day and for whatever reason has been wiped out or watered down or whatever. And the other religions are coming to the fore and and exerting their influence. But if you look at those things I've mentioned, freedom of speech, again, you will die in many places for speaking against a dictator or a governmental system that you're not happy with. You can die for speaking at certain religions. I've mentioned about the plight of women. I'm not talking about hundreds of years ago. I'm talking about today. I think we're so ignorant today. Or, or, we, or maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe we're, we're not unaware. We're just trying to think it doesn't or ignore it. Why do people come to Australia in boats? You all saw the TV this week or the paper and you saw the, the fact that there was people, and that the tragedy was, as if it's not bad enough being, having your boat smashed by waves and thrown onto rocks, the tragedy was that these people were probably half-starved anyway and had no energy to fight, had no energy to swim or climb. But they had endured a journey like that with no guarantee of success to a country like Australia. Why? Because there is a recognition across the world that if you want to be looked after, if you want to have an opportunity in life, if you want to get better than what you've got where you are, head for a Christian country. Or at least... (laughs) At least a place that is even just Christian in name. I mean, you don't see refugees heading for North Korea today. I'm serious, do they? Do they head to Somalia? Maybe if they've got to jump across the border on the way to somewhere else. But there are so many places in the world like that today. I don't imagine people fleeing to communist China or, 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 or you know, the Soviet Union a few years ago. Why do they come to Australia? Because they will be welcomed with open arms. Yes, yes some people are threatened. Yes, some people are fearful. Yes, some people resent. And all, but in the main, they're going to be welcomed with open arms. They're going to be treated humanely. They're going to be treated fairly and justly. And we're going to do our best to find out where they come from. And if, and if we really think that it would be a death sentence to send them back, the chances are they're going to stay here. And they're going to be looked after. And they're going to be provided with food, clothing, and money. Because of our Christian heritage. Because of what Jesus, the sort of things that Jesus taught. Again, you don't have to go too far back. And I think it can even happen today. But certainly, you know, up until 50 years ago, and I know it's still practice, but cannibalism was a real threat. If you landed in Fiji, if you were a boat person, you landed in Fiji, you would get a welcome. 
and a bath, a warm one with carrots. You know what I'm saying? People ate people. Some people still do. Generally, it's not a culturally accepted thing in most parts of the world today. Still happens, though. So that's one, thing, one very real option outside of what Jesus taught. What about just machine gunning people to death and just sinking the boat so that no one ever knows about it? That would never happen in world history, would it? Certainly has. Certainly has. What is it about us? What is it about Australians? What is it about Americans? What is it about English? What is it about Africans? Or wherever the church has gone, wherever there's a Christian influence, and, and, and that influence has been so great that it's impacted society and, and brought about these sort of reforms, what is it? It's just the teaching of Jesus that puts a value on life that's different. There's another option. You might not be eaten, you might not be shot. But what about just being enslaved? Many people today, never mind throughout the last however many thousand years, it would be, you would be well welcomed again, but you would be put into servitude straight away. You would become someone's possession for the rest of your life. Very real options. You know that slavery today, it's estimated there are 27 million slaves in the world today. Did you think slavery was over? Did you think it ended with the American Civil War? There are more slaves today than ever in history. More slaves today than there were in the Roman Empire. More slaves today. Slave or, or people trafficking is, is the fastest growing organized crime in the world. And it primarily involves women and little children for sex. That's what's happening outside of where the name of Jesus is honored and the teachings of Jesus are lived out. Is the world a mess? I think it is. I don't think there's a lot of hope outside of what Jesus did. Like I said, we lose the things I've mentioned. We lose so much more because the things I've mentioned are the things that have inspired others to get on board. So what is it about Jesus that's different? What are some of the things? I just want to briefly mention four very quick things that Jesus taught that changed the world in which we live. I think you'd agree that he's changed the world in which we live. Do you, are you feeling a little bit more appreciative for what Jesus has done in your life? Do you think it's realistic or valid for a person to say, what's Jesus ever done for me? I mean, you know, I'm just talking about the average guy. He works at Holden's or whatever, and he's got two kids, and he's got a, two cars, and maybe goes fishing on the weekend, and he says, what's Jesus ever done for me? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? When you look at it in the light of what I just shared. So what's Jesus ever done? Well, the first thing I've kind of already alluded to he brought about a view of humanity that was totally different than what was in the world. It wasn't really a new view because it was the view first espoused in this anyway. It was a, Jew that the, it was a, it was a view that the Jews had been given custody of in a sense and were responsible under God to live out and demonstrate. Unfortunately, they'd become far too uh, introspective and far too law conscious rather than spirit conscious. And so Jesus had to break in again and say, hang on guys, get the blackboard in a sense, rub it clean. So now this is what it's about. God loves you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He goes on, he taught, in all of his teaching, you know, so often we read about the parable of the coin, the parable of the, the widow, the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, the, the good Samaritan. These things are so familiar to many in the church. And it's just saying, people count. 
People matter to God. God loves people. Unbelievably so. Their, their, their value and their worth is not dependent upon what they do. It's just about who they are. They're created in the image of God. They are God's kids. He's our father. That means something. And the church grabbed that. And they began to live it out. Jesus said, as often as you do it to the least of these, in other words, the most vulnerable in the society, the most rank, the most despicable, the, as often as you do it to them, you do it to me. You touch them, you touch me, Jesus is saying. And so the church, bam, it's kind of got a wake-up call. Well, it wasn't even the church then. It was just a bunch of people following Jesus and, and attracted initially by his power and by his, his um, charisma, I guess, and the miracles and those sort of things that were going on. But as they listened, they were arrested in their thinking. And so Jesus brought a new view of humanity, but at the same time, he brought a new view of love. Because everyone knew what love was. That's that feeling that you get, right? When you see a really attractive girl or guy. Yeah? No. That's what people thought love was. Or that feeling of warmth and, and, and responsibility you have to the children that you've brought into the world. Or perhaps to those who've brought you into the world. Or perhaps to those that were brought into the world with you. It was a fairly small circle of people that you actually loved. It was usually family or extended family. But Jesus turned it all around. Jesus spoke about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he redefined what it meant to be a neighbour because some religious dude thought he'd be clever and he'd say, well, who is my neighbour? Because Jesus said, love your neighbour. And so Jesus takes the person who was most unlikely in that scenario and makes him the neighbour, makes him the person. In our culture today, it's like telling that story and the Muslim is the Good Samaritan. You know, if, I don't want to be unkind to say it, but I'm just saying, in, in, in Western society, there's a bit of a nervousness about, you know, Islam and stuff because of our Christian leanings. And um, so, you know, you make the Muslim the good guy in that story. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. And it, it rocked their world. They're like, flipping heck, what's going on here? And Jesus said, that's your neighbour. That person who you would normally be at loggerheads with, that person who you would normally despise and not give the time of day to, that person you would talk about, that person you would avoid, that person you would set up to make look like an idiot in front of everyone at work, that person is your neighbour. And then he went on and said, just in case you don't get it, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He turned it upside down. Radically different understanding of what love meant. And the church was kind of getting it. It was kind of sinking into the followers of Jesus. What that, how, how does that look? How it looks is how I've talked about. Jesus brought a radically different take on leadership. Radically different take on leadership. What was leadership until Jesus came? You can think of leaders. You can think of guys. Alexander the Great. Maybe a bit of a good example of a person who was a, a leader among leaders, a man amongst men. A person who was able to dominate and destroy and, and subdue entire nations. And essentially leadership was that. Leadership was whoever has got the, the biggest army and the best weapons is the boss. And no other qualifications, really. You just had to be able to convince some people to run with you and for you and kill and pillage and steal and get rich on the way. And that was leadership. And Jesus said, no, it's not like that. The least will be the greatest amongst you. Talked about a, a different spirit of leadership. A leadership that comes with humility. 
A servant leadership. A leadership that does not exist for its own ends, but exists for the sake of others. Kathy, can I grab your Bible quickly, please? I was just reading something in the message before I got up here because I wanted to just check out a word. And um, in Job, chapter 29... Job chapter 29. This is the model of leadership. Again, it was in the Old Testament, but this is what Jesus was speaking about. This sort of spirit, this sort of attitude. I'm going to break in. It's in the message, so I can't give an exact verse. But this is Job speaking about his former life, before all the troubles came. When he says, when I spoke, everyone listened. They hung on every word. People who knew me spoke well of me. My reputation went ahead of me. I was, not, I was known for helping people in trouble and standing up for those who were down on their luck. The dying blessed me and the bereaved were cheered by my visits. All my dealings with people were good. I was known for being fair to everyone I met. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame, father to the needy and champion of abused aliens. I grabbed street thieves by the scruff of the neck And made them give back what they'd stolen. I thought, I'll die peacefully in my bed, grateful for a long and full life. A life deep-rooted and well-watered. A life limber and dew-fresh. My soul suffused with glory and my body robust until the day I die. Men Men and women listened when I spoke, being expectant. Sorry, hung expectantly on every word. After I spoke, they'd be quiet, taking it all in. They welcomed my counsel like spring rain, drinking it in. When I smiled at them, they could hardly believe it. Their faces lit up. Their troubles took wing. I was their leader, establishing the mood and setting the pace by which they lived. Where I led, they followed. Isn't that a massive contrast? That type of leadership versus Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great or the Caesars or Adolf Hitler or Stalin Or even, dare I say it, John Wesley, or the Apostle Paul, or Martin Luther, or William Booth, or Martin Luther King, outside of the teaching of Jesus. These men that I've just mentioned, obviously, are the heroes of the faith. These are the guys responsible for some of the things I've mentioned already. But why? Only because they had a revelation of who Jesus was. Only because he was their leader. You take a man... I mean. A man like Martin Luther to stand in the midst of religious opinion and total opposition and to change the the, the course of the church. That's not a wimp. You think about Martin Luther, King, Junior, you know, civil rights guy in, in America not too long ago. You think about a guy like him with the passion, the motivation and the just cause that he had. Take Jesus out of the picture and what have you got? You have got bloodshed. Wholesale bloodshed. But no, he knew a better way and he promoted a better way. And so there was peaceful resistance and there was ultimately a breakthrough. And that would be, that would be the same for all these guys. William Booth, salvation of the foundation of the salvation. Thank God for the salvo, yes. Because it could have been different. John Wesley, again, what happened in France was about to happen in England. Do you know what happened in France? The country was turned upside down. People were killed left, right and centre. Christianity was only taken off the map. People were 
unjustly suffering and persecuted, and it was horrible. Britain was in the place where that was, it was like a powder keg ready for that to happen. And if a guy like John Wesley didn't have Jesus at work in his life, and he'd have called people to arms, they would have gone like that. The monarchy would have been overthrown, and much of, of, of what is England, and what people know and you know, appreciate about England, assuming they do, would be radically different. Radically different. France is a nation in massive trouble today because it didn't have the revival that England did. But it could have been the opposite way around. Neither of them could have had revival if we hadn't have had John Wesley following Jesus. I'll finish with a quote in just a minute. Finally, Jesus brought a new way to relate to God. He came. One of the, the terms we sing in our Christmas is Emmanuel. It just simply means God with us. And Jesus came and lived the sort of life amongst us that he actually had planned for us all along. He didn't want religious ritual. He didn't want highfalutin religion. He just wants people who come and relate with him. He wants reality. He wants humility. He doesn't want long and loud prayers about, look how good I am, Lord. Look how righteous I am in my, because I've done this or I've done that. He just wants people like the tax collector said, Lord, forgive me. A sinner, it's that easy to come to God. That is radically different. If you look at that compared to the religions across the world and the, and the, the requirements that their gods or their demonic influential powers behind them are demanding of people today. It's about faith. First and foremost, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, through faith so that we won't boast and get caught up in our own works. Basically, that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it is about sacrifice. And it is about doing stuff. But that comes after. It's a response of gratitude. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And so, yes, works are involved. That's why all these things I've spoken about have happened. Because people were willing to lay their life on their line and do what it takes and have a vision that lasted for generations. And so one, one group of believers following Jesus tried to do something and they failed the next generation would rise up and try the same thing and eventually they broke through they carried the day the Roman Empire was Christianised the British Empire was Christianised much of the world has been Christianised today or at least what uh, Christianised is probably not the right word but knows about Jesus and follows his example is probably a far better way of saying it that's what Christianity is about that's what Jesus bought much of what we experience today and take for granted is not in any sense of the word normal it's normal because we're used to it it's not normal when you compare it with what the world is like without Jesus it's not normal if you leave the world to its own devices and all the other philosophies and religions and dictators and dominators and whatever other leaders there might be out there to their own devices it's not normal what we experience daily it's a result of Jesus intervention in history if you lose what Je- if you lose Jesus, you lose everything that was inspired in his name. And everything that was inspired by what was inspired in his name. The world in, what we, in which we live, you cannot guarantee that we would not be living in the dark ages right now. Continued. But for Christ. William Leckie, I want to finish with this quote. William Leckie, a famous skeptic and historian, says this of Jesus. He lived a hundred or so years ago. He said, His life has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, 
but the strongest incentive to its practice. He has exercised so deep an influence that it may truly said, sorry, it may be truly said that the simple record of his three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the arguments of philosophers and all the advice of moralists. Don't you love that? The teaching of Jesus, the life, the example, the pattern of Jesus has done more to regenerate and soften humanity than anything else. Having said that, Jesus was not just a philosopher. He was not just a teacher. Obviously, he lived a life and he was heralded beforehand by prophecy. And he was a miracle where he wrote. There's so much that stood behind what Jesus said that is the provided the momentum and the incentive for the church to stand firm and to press on in the face of the most harsh opposition. I don't know about you, but I think that's part of the reason that every year you're going to hear somewhere around the world, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Thank you. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.